shall guide me in the narrow way, precept and promise for love combining, till night shall vanish in eternal day. Hello and welcome back to the Common Sense Gospel. I am Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbit. And we are glad you have joined us today. We are talking about the foot of the cross. The title of this podcast is At the foot of the cross. Let me just start by saying that if there's something for you as you're listening today, there's something in your life and you're having trouble with that particular thing, um, a particular sin even that has gotten the better of you recently, what I want to share with you and, and certainly with Kurt as we discuss this today is that everything should flow from the foot of the cross. This challenge that you have, maybe a sin that's kind of gotten the better of you recently, um, and you're, you're concerned about how to, how to approach this, or how to become stronger, how to do better, I, I would just submit to you and, and even to myself in times of need that it, it needs to flow from the foot of the cross. If, if we were to go there before Jesus, you know, would we bring that thing with us, knowing why he was put on that cross and the fact that he willingly submitted to his Father's will to suffer for the sins of humanity would we come to him bringing the very thing that put him there and, and hold on to that? It, it can't be. We, understanding what he's done and that we want to distance ourselves from sin as far as we can uh, to, in order to glorify him and, and to, to, to be a demonstration that it was not in vain. He did not hang on that cross in vain, but he's done it for one who loves him and who is striving to do what is right. I believe that if all things in our daily lives as Christians now, this is for people who are, are believe and trust in the Lord, that if, if the decisions we make, the places we go, the way we speak to friends and family, everything under the sun that we're involved in, if it flows from the foot of the cross, it'll be where it needs to be. It will be pleasing to God, and I think we can evaluate that as we go through. So just a verse for this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that, that seems like of all the things he would have preached and taught and said to the Corinthians while he was with them, he says, I was determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The interesting thing about that is that's the beginning of the Corinthian letter. And then when you get into three, four, five, six, he is tearing into them about the behavior uh, what they've become, the division. He's already started with a division in chapter 1. Mm -hmm. And so this, this picture here that, remember now what I told you. I, the, I wanted to be known by nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I, I think that's it. That's that picture that now we're going to correct some of these things. But what I preached to you was Jesus Christ and him crucified. Therefore, you know, and, and now you can make these adjustments and these changes get back in line with the will of God and be a faithful church. So I, uh, I think that was placed there on purpose for that reason. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're just going to mention a few things, for the most part, really off the top of our head, some things we've thought about in advance, certainly. But is there a commandment in the Bible that we can look at and apply and say, you know, would it help to start from the foot of the cross with this particular mm -hmm. commandment or even on the other side of being commanded to refrain from one thing or another? Uh, what, what would be a commandment in the Bible that, that we would be able to use this idea for the well, cross? One thing we find that's frequently required of us is 
humility. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's in a sense it all starts right there because you have to drop self. You're, you have to get out of yourself and drop your pretensions that we've all created about ourselves, you know, that, you know, really, if someone looks at me deeply, I'm John Wayne. I'm tough, self-sufficient, got it all together. Sure. Got the answer to every objection and, you know, complaint or whatever, and if it comes down to it, I got my fists and my six-gun, whatever, you know. <laughs> we tend to put ourselves on a pedestal. Well, we got to kick that pedestal out. That's right. And uh, as far as the command goes in the book of Philippians, which contains the passage we're going to look at, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, we're told to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Mm. Well, what is that? And well, he goes on to explain who... Being in the form of God did not consider uh, being equal with God a thing to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the cross death. And it, if you're reading along with us, it probably doesn't read like that, but I'm going from the literal Greek, mm. which I think uh, carries the point better. Yeah, I understand. Because it says he became obedient and then in italics to the point of death. That's not really the idea. He became obedient or he submitted even to death. Into death, yeah. Which he was not, he didn't have to. He's the prince of life. Exactly. But it's interesting. He, we're told on the cross, he gave up his spirit. In other words, now it's finished. He let go. And he let go. Yeah. So he's in charge of that moment. So he submitted willfully. The one who never knew death, the one who was life itself, who had created and sustained life, submits to death, humbles himself to that point, and even lower than that, to the cross death, the death of the cross, which was the most humiliating, agonizing, the, the lowest, worst form of death that you could conceive of at that time. That's right. So Jesus humbled himself as far as it is possible to be humbled. And so the commensurate takes place. Therefore God, in verse 9, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And that's right in line with what Jesus taught. He who shall be greatest shall be least. That's how you become great. Well, Jesus became, he made himself the very least. And so now, He's the very highest, the very greatest. And that, that to me is such a beautiful picture in Philippians, the humility that it took for him. As John just kind of summarily states, the word was God. In John 1.1, 1, 1, then in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, it's kind of like a statement of fact. Okay, Paul, 
digs into that. Mm-hmm. Here's what it meant for him to leave heaven, give up some of his prerogatives as God. He, now, he didn't stop being God because you can't stop being what you are. Yeah. But he gave up some of his prerogatives, I believe. He didn't count it uh, a thing to be held onto to be equal with God. He lowered himself. Boy, did he. And how did he lower himself? He became a man. Not just there, he became a servant, mm-hmm. which is a low class of man. And not just that, he became obedient to death. And not just that, the cross death. Mm-hmm. So, ultimate humility. Yeah. By Jesus. So, this is the mind of Christ that we're commanded to have. Yeah, and if you look at Matthew 27, the, the way that that is given to us, you know, the soldiers, the crown of thorns, they put the reed in his hand mm-hmm. and a robe on his back, which was just bloodied mauled. Yeah. And they make fun of him, they spit on him, and they take the reed out of his hand and hit him on the head with that reed. So it's not just the moment on the cross, as bad as that is, it, it is the getting to it and, and watching the Gospels get us there that God is showing us this sacrifice and, and the, the willingness that in which it was offered. Uh, humility is a great place to start because I cannot, I cannot hold on to pride. I can't bring anything to the table, and I have to know that. You know, imagine coming to the foot of the cross with pride. Hmm. Yeah. Can you? It I mean, just doesn't fit. Of course it doesn't. And you know, and, and you, the moment you realize you have pride in you, standing before the cross, it is the most embarrassing thing because you're still holding on to something that is vain and empty and futile and worthless, while the Prince of Life, as you po- pointed out, the the God of Glory, gives Himself up to this point that the Hebrew writer tells us that He learned obedience through through that death. Mm-hmm. on the cross he suffered um, and th- those pictures and those ideas Christ learning obedience to the Father on the cross and that I come there with pride about something in my life mm-hmm. it absolutely destroys any hope that I would have of just holding on to one little bit of pride and, and if it doesn't I'm not standing where I need to be I need to accurately see that in my mind and to stand there with him Typically, we think of the crowd. There's, again, in Matthew 27, the Pharisees wagging their heads, pointing yeah. at him. If he is the Son of God, let him save himself. You know, he, make, he can come down from the cross. Those, those poor, wretched souls, they had no idea what they were saying. Mm-hmm. But we put ourselves there in that moment, and we say, oh, I don't want to be with those guys because this is my Savior, and I know why he's doing it. But again, just in that process, that I do believe all good things flow from the foot of the cross because of how much is accomplished there. And it's for us because we're, we're sinners. We're, we are enemies with God. Yep. That's why he's there. So again, how can pride get there? It cannot exist there. And yet it did on that day with the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, those who wanted to watch him die, that they were steeped in pride because they didn't, they had no idea. They did not understand. They had no idea what was happening, and they only cared about themselves, which is the definition of pride. Uh, mm. And I, 
I know you have something else for us, but you mentioned this idea of self, you know, you know, the, the word selfie. Yeah. I mean, to if say that's that, not the ultimate in narcissism. To say the word. <laughs> yeah. You want to see my selfies? <laughs> no, no, no. Not particularly. <laughs> so again, just again, so just use it as a picture so yeah. we can so we can work this out on the things that matter to us. If you just stick with the selfie idea with a, your little camera on your phone, are you taking selfies at the foot of the cross? Hmm. Would you dare do that? Would it even cross your mind? I think I would be so horrified and terrified of what I was looking at. And then beyond what I could not see, the great bulls of Bashan gnashing their teeth at the Savior. That if I'm still thinking that I gotta, you know, I gotta get make sure my hair straight when I take my selfie, I got a real, real yep. problem. And I do not understand what Jesus has done and how far he's descended according to the will of God to be that perfect sacrifice for us. It would just, it, I think, I just can't believe I could even stand. I would just, I would think I would melt. Yeah. I couldn't bear it. It's, it's still all about self. Yeah. You know, with that, that kind of viewpoint toward things. Absolutely. And it has no place before God. No flesh shall glory in his presence. And we need to get used to that now. Yeah. In fact, I was just thinking of... Uh, First Peter 5, because what we read in Philippians 2 that Jesus did and then what was done as response, he was raised up to the highest. Peter tells us, be clothed with humility because God resists the proud, just like you've been talking about, yeah. but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So once humility is understood and accomplished, then the Lord has what he needs to do the exalting. Right. He can't, he will not, I shouldn't say he can't, but he will not exalt someone who's exalted himself. Yeah, he resists the proud. If that's how you want to do it, then you get whatever you get out of that. And it's really sad and pathetic. If you humble yourself, and again, just stand there with the Lord on, while he's on that cross and be ready to be humble because he's shown us how to do it, that God says that work that's happening in you is, is preparatory for the exaltation that I have planned for you. So in the end, we actually benefit greater than if we try to exalt ourselves. Mm -hmm. Just as Christ, and he's the picture. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. So humility can't be there. Yep. And closely in line with that, uh, I think of submission. Yes, of course. It, it comes, once you have humbled yourselves, uh, yourself, you will submit. Yes. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself and became submissive to death, became obedient. He, he submitted to that. He allowed mm -hmm. it to take place. Um, and we see that in the garden. Twice he prayed, not my will but yours. He, he, his flesh did not want to go to the cross. Of course. What, no, what flesh would, no. knowing what you are going to have to endure. But his, his will was to submit the flesh, to bring the flesh into submission, to do your will, Father. Let your will be done. And so he was the one who was in control after that prayer, 
when Peter cut off Malchus's ear, Jesus said, put up your sword because it's got to be this way. How shall scripture be fulfilled? Well, he has submitted to that. I need to fulfill what God has taught and promised for the last couple thousand years. That's right. And in his submission, there are prophecies fulfilled that Jesus doesn't have control over, like the right. casting of lots, mm-hmm. Joseph of Arimathea begging for his body. Right. Those those portions of that scripture, again, some people say, well, he, he just tried to direct everything so it would lay out. Not one bone being broken on the cross. Mm-hmm. The soldiers looked up at him and recognized him to already be dead, so they thrust a spear in his side, but they broke the legs of the other two mm-hmm. thieves that were on the cross to speed up their death. Right. Jesus' bones were not broken to fulfill Scripture. Again, he's already dead physically. Mm-hmm. He has no power or control that. Yep. over that prophecy. Yep. And yet, so in the garden when he says, not my will, but thine, as it's written out, it's not just that he's like, oh, I'll do it, I guess. It's that when he does, the rest of those things find their appropriate place you know, in the timeline of, of his life, death, and resurrection, that, that those prophecies are, are fulfilled. And I think that's also, the, you know, the work of God um, inside of the humility and the submission of Jesus. Uh, I want to give you a verse, too, the mm-hmm. submission. Um, we are to submit to a lot of things. We're to submit to God, to Christ, first and foremost, because everything flows from that. But we want to be submissive at the foot of the cross, that, that we can analyze who we are, what we're doing. Uh, am I okay, Lord, as we look up at him and as he gives his life for us? In Philippians 2 and verse 3, Paul says, mm. let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. So that's the opposite of submission. My selfish ambition does not want to submit to you. Um, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That I've, I've got to begin, now again, here's a New Testament commandment. I've got to look around the room and, and have lowliness of mind. I've got to look around the room and come to the conclusion that I am the least in this room. And that's hard to do sometimes. I've been in a lot of different rooms with a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the flesh makes it really easy to point out why I'm better than probably everybody in this room. That is yes. not what God wants. Mm-hmm. He wants me not only to acknowledge them to be greater than I, but to submit. Stop moving by selfish ambition and conceit and start moving for the benefit of others. And again, if I am at the foot of the cross, I am saying, Show me how, Lord, I'll do it. For looking at what you're doing for me, mm-hmm. I will do it and I will shine for your glory and your glory alone. I will take this on. I'll take this challenge seriously. I am the least in every room I step into. And I know that. And so I'm willing to submit and I'm willing to serve. I, I would say the one, the one exception to that because I feel like submission, the time Jesus didn't submit is when someone opposed the truth. Sure. Living in sin, he didn't submit to that. Not to that, but he's still submitting to truth. And he still submitted to sinners. The will of God. Yeah, the Roman yep. soldiers. Yep. He let them do their thing. He could have mm. turned them into yep. he, lumps of coal. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. 
So that that's that's there for us so that we can properly move forward and submit. And that's that's a big, big lesson. And I'll tell you right now, just in honesty, that it's gonna be hard to do that. I think as I get older, you know, I my new thing to look around and f- figure out why I'm better than other people is that I'm older than most people now. <laughs> so I got uh, I got yeah. some room to talk. I've been here longer Since than I you. I am older. You I, I can uh, testify to that. That is a temptation. And I'm still told to yeah. submit. I've got more experience than you, and I've learned more than you, so I've got I've got to get the upper hand here, pal. But, but that's if, something to consider. Yeah. If I use that as my ruler. And I stand before the cross, which is what we're talking about. Yep. I'm older than Jesus mm. at the time of his death. That's right. And I have no business to do anything but yep. submit. Yep. Doesn't matter what age you are. Doesn't matter what state you're in. He commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a, a judge. That's right. And so we, we want to implement these things, not, not just as you and I talk <laughs> about it. We want to implement them in our daily lives, that for people who are listening, you know, you got a boss that you're having trouble with, you have a coworker that is just lives to get under your skin, that these these principles need to apply, and, and that they, they properly applied, you know, as we said, we're, we're, not, um, we're not giving way to, to erroneous ideas or caving into falsehood that's being spread, those kind of things. Stand up as the Lord did, but be ready to submit, to be obedient, and to serve men as though you're serving the Lord himself mm-hmm. because our reward comes from God, not from men. And we're thankful for that. If you look at your boss and he's not a very good boss or she's not a very good boss, well, then thank goodness that's not where the reward comes from because that'd be horrible. The reward for those who serve as serving Christ is from God himself. And so right. to be humble, to submit, uh, there's great reward for that in heaven. Yeah, and there, there are actually so many things we could look at it at what flows from the cross and and uh, what applies to us. What, what the lessons we need to take from that. What we need to receive from the cross and what uh, Jesus did there for us. But I just thought it would be fitting to conclude with love, hmm. which Paul says is the, is the greatest of these. Yeah. Uh, and there's no greater expression of that than the cross. Paul alludes to that and, and announces that in Romans, even on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. To his enemies who are murdering him at that very moment, Father, forgive them. That has to come from a heart of love. And so John builds on that in 1 John four nineteen by telling us that we love because he first loved us. In other words, when we look at the cross, we learn what love is. That's right. And then we need to reflect that love. And again, that has a lot of application for us in our daily life. Mm-hmm. That to be filled with love, love is the bond of perfection. Yep. Love brings it all together. And Paul said, love your enemies. So that's what Jesus is doing. Right there on that, at that moment. That's He's right. dying for his enemies. That's right. Those, those headwaggers over there that you spoke about that are taunting him on the cross. He's dying for them. He's dying for the Roman soldiers. He's dying for every sinner that was living then and who will live from that point on. By coming to the cross and learning what we can receive there then that salvation can be applied to us. 
Yeah. And so to understand how great a love that is, and then that's hard to do hmm. from our finite, weak minds. But he's given us what we can take hold of. And so if, if we can bear witness to that love, then we have to reflect that. We've got to reciprocate that love to our fellow man. Um, do not grow weary while doing good, mm-hmm. Galatians 6. Um, do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. So my love must be exercised uh, with my brethren. And, you know, the beautiful thing about Scripture, you know, Jesus, he says, pray for your enemies who spitefully use you. Mm-hmm. So then there he is crying out to God. That there's there's all of these pictures of what Jesus commands us to do, and then and then He Himself is doing it there on that cross. Mm. So one of the things He says is, "Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you." Um, so now I know what love is, mm-hmm. and how often do I fall short of doing all the things that I wish people would do for me? And I, you know, I teach the high school class here this quarter, and I'm just trying to trying to impress upon their minds that if you step into a room, just imagine stepping into a room, into a building, and and uh, and what would you want that building full of people to do for you? You know, how just have fun with that. How how amazing could that be if 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 all of a sudden when you step into the door of a, like a large building or an arena or something, and they say, "He's here, he's here, it's him, that's him," you know, it's po- pointing to you, or that's her, there she is, that's the one we've been telling you about. And then they all come towards you and treat you perfectly the way that you expect to be treated or you want to be treated. I mean, you can take that as far as you want, mm-hmm. but then I tell them, be careful, because Jesus says, now go do that. Mm-hmm. Surprise is you're not the guy. You're one of the people that comes to the guy and says, man, I'm glad you're here, right? So we have got to do that. And I'm telling, especially those who are members of church, Think of someone right now. You're going to go to services this upcoming week, maybe Wednesdays, maybe it's right around the corner. Think about an individual, maybe an older member who's still coming to services in their pain, in their anguish, in their Mm. difficulties, and and they are serving the Lord the very best that they can. You determine in your heart to do something special for them. Mm. Some people need you to walk up to them, to take them by the hand and say, I love you. Your example... It's greater than you think. You know, I've, I've watched you for many years, whatever that is. But it, it is simply just a turning around of, I wish someone would tell me that, that I've been attending really well. Well, now you know what to do. Go find someone who is also doing that with you and tell them how much they mean to you. Because love, love moves. It goes somewhere. It does something. It, it can't reside only in itself. That's not love. Love is what's given and offered in a sacrificial way. So, you know, what I'm saying is a very basic thing, and yet how many times do we fail to say something to someone who deserves to hear a word of encouragement? Mm-hmm. It really is very simple. Now you're making me think uh, Jesus told a parable to illustrate what he meant as an answer to a question he got one time. Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Oh, the greatest of these is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and a second's like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? And he answered with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You're the neighbor. Yep. So there, there Jesus is illustrating your point. Love is action. Yeah. It has to be expressed to others in deeds. You're treating your neighbor 
you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And then that is stemming from the love of God. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And there it is at the foot of the cross. Jesus loving his father in submission and humility, obeying his father and loving his fellow man Mm -hmm. in like manner, doing unto them as as he would have them do for him, understanding the weight and what what was at stake that he would give it all there. So I, again, I just I hope this is making a, a strong impression. As it is on me, as I continue to think about this, that whatever it may be, if, if it's a sin I'm wrestling with, or a challenge and something that I know is godly or, or spiritual that I need, to, I need to do better. I need to read the Word of God more frequently. Whatever that is, if you present those challenges at the foot of the cross and just t- tie it in, watching Jesus give Himself so that these things could be possible for us, that I believe that it will annihilate any sin that you're having trouble with, and it will give you the strength, the courage, the fuel to do those noble, glorious things that are really selfless and submissive, but that God says are the greatest things that we can do. Mm. That You just can't escape. Jesus is doing it as you're standing there at the cross. He's doing it right in front of you. So, yeah. So, yeah, what boasting is there except in the cross? Just do it. I'm not doing anything great. No. I'm doing basically what Jesus showed me how to do. That's right. And I'm still a weak and unprofitable servant because (laughs) after I've done everything that I'm commanded, I need to realize that's all I've done, just what was commanded me to do, Mm -hmm. nothing more. So there's, there's nothing I can ever boast of. There's nothing I can grab onto that I have done and raise it above Jesus to say, look at what I did. No way. Jesus will just say, yeah, I commanded you to do that. Exactly. And all you've done is what I commanded. That's right. Luke 17, 10. We're unprofitable servants. We've simply done that, which is our duty to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's a great thing to be thinking about, and I, and I hope that it continues to be something that we all use uh, for fuel motivation you know yeah. those, those things because we are challenged this world is tough we are in a tough spot right now mm-hmm. uh, it's always been that way i don't want to oversell that but um these you know jesus and his examples given to us peter mentions it repeatedly that he's our example and that that's our assistance that's our help that we won't go as far as he's gone and yet we can be a part of that effort we can suffer uh, for christ we can suffer with him uh, in the commitment to that which is right and good before God. So I, I want to sign up. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I would commend anyone for trying their very best to do the same. We have two trivia questions. And <laughs> I, I, let me ask you one because okay. I'm going um, to set the tone here. Oh, all right. You ready? I'm about to set the tone. Am I going to be bloodied here? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. What is the shortest book in the New Testament? As far as verses. The third John. Is that your final answer? <laughs> Should I ask that in the form of a question? <laughs> uh, or answer that in the form of a question? It's either going to be Philemon or third John. Well, Jude is pretty short, too. So is uh, second Peter. But that's three chapters. Uh... Yeah, I'll go with 3rd John. 3rd John is one verse away from being the shortest. 
Second John is 13 verses. Third John is 14 verses. Oh, second so, John's actually shorter. Okay. Yeah. That's a great guess, though, because when I first saw that, I, you know, I'm like you. I kind of, hmm. Philemon's got to be in there, but that yeah. gets into the 20s. Yeah. So that, that's yeah, not. There are 24 verses there. Maybe. Let's see. Let's see if I guessed right on that one. Philemon. Let the drums roll. I'm, today is the day for being one off. 25 verses in Philemon. Oh, man. So, okay. Yeah, I'm, well, miss, I'm missing the mark. <laughs> Uh-oh. Second John is the answer. Shortest okay. book in the New Testament. Okay. In all the Bible, I guess. Interesting. Uh, okay, here's my first one to you. Who were the first two people to announce the baby Jesus when he was brought before the brought to the temple? Announced to who? Just like though this is the Messiah kind of announcement? Okay. Simeon. Yes. And the other one's a woman. Yes. <laughs> Anna. Yes. Nice. That's pretty good. Well done, Danny. Yeah. Thank you. As Simeon proclaimed, I've always thought that's such a beautiful story. That's Simeon amazing. and Anna. He says, now, now I know let I can your die. servant depart <laughs> because my eyes have seen your the glory of Israel. The Holy Spirit revealed to him he yeah. would not die. You were not going to die till you see the Lord's anointed. And then he and knew then that was him. Anna, at that instant, Anna came. Yes. She recognized and she's the one, she went about and told everyone about him. They're both servants so, in the temple. They're yep, godly. She, she served people. the temple day and night in prayers. And Amazing. so she's there announcing. Simeon, we don't get the idea he's announcing him publicly. Right. He's just proclaiming, here's the one you told me about. And Mary and Joseph. Are now you can there. let your servant depart because I've seen the one you promised. But right. Anna goes out and proclaims to the people. Yeah. So the stage is being set. Yep. Good, Good job. Yep. Good Simeon question, and Anna. Man. Luke That's chapter nice. 2. Verses 25 through 38. Very good. Okay, so I'm going to give you a minute here because you got to kind of think this through in your mind and uh -oh. kind of let, let that verse finish now out. Now I'm really up against it. <laughs> if I, I ask you to think? If I have to think, yeah, boy. <laughs> According to the Beatitudes, who will be filled? Oh, my. Uh... He says, for they shall be filled. Uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. There you go. Matthew 5 and verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Very good. What was your verse for Anna and Simeon? You had Luke it, 2. Luke 2, 25 through 38. Okay. Very good. Okay. Here's my second one out of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 22. We're told that in the New Jerusalem there will be no temple. Why? Oh, man. Why will there be no temple in the New Jerusalem? Because we're in the presence of God. Mm, unpack that a little bit. Well, I mean, if I had to... It specifically tells us. Okay, because that, that's what I don't know. But I've, you know, if I had to like work it out in my mind, there's no need for a temple if, if you're in fellowship with God. There's nothing between you and the Lord. We, he is our God and we are his people. The temple is irrelevant at that point. You don't have to go to the temple to worship, to honor God, because that was the, the mediating location, I guess. But anyway, that's not what the Revelation says. What does it say? Uh, Revelation 21, 22. 
John says, I saw no temple in it, the, the New Jerusalem, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So there, there would be a sense, I think, of fellowship in that. Yeah, what I said is not right. That's, if they are the temple, yeah, then there is a need for a temple. Yeah, we are. It's them. That's where we come in contact with God personally, not necessarily in a building like they did in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. But yet there's no temple there because God and the Son, the Lamb, are the temple. Are the temple. The temple was always the place where the God's presence yep. would God, fill God the temple. God met the people there. Yeah. Isaiah sees That's the Lord in the temple. where they brought everything to him. Mm-hmm. Their sacrifices, and of course our sacrifice now is our reasonable service, our body, uh, and the sacrifices of praise, the fruit of our lips uh, that give praise to his name um, out of Hebrews 13. So we go to them now personally yeah. with all we have to offer. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's coming. Yep. It is coming. Yep. That day will come because God said it would. Wonderful. Those are great questions. We hope that you did well on these questions and maybe even knew the chapter and verse in which they could be found. Mm. Uh, you said it was Revelation 21. Yes, Revelation 21, 22. All right. Very good. Um, we hope that you not just enjoyed uh, this particular podcast, but that you thought deeply about the things that we've discussed and found in God's Word, uh, the great things that, that can be seen and absorbed at the foot of the cross for us now today. Jesus has given his life uh, to save our souls, and he is Lord and Savior of all. We love him with everything we have, and uh, he's still teaching us how to love, and we're grateful for that. We pray that uh, this has been helpful to you and that you continue to serve God with all of your heart as you move on throughout this week.